loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. Sandra is an author, speaker, and board-certified internal medicine physician. She has an active medical practice in Alabama near the Birmingham area. She received her BS in biochemistry at the University of Georgia and graduated with honors from Meharry Medical College in Nashville. She has been an adjunct faculty member at Baker College and Davenport University in Michigan, teaching courses on health, nutrition, and disease progression. She's also a national and international media resource on the mind-body-spirit connection and a top 100 medical expert in Good Housekeeping Doctor's Secrets. She's been featured in many media outlets, including Women's Day, Red Book, First for Women, MSNBC, and Prevention. She's the author of Set Free to Live Free and Come Empty, which was the winner of the 2016 Golden Scroll Nonfiction Book of the Year and 2016 Illumination Award Gold Medalist. Her newest release, which we'll mostly be talking about today, is Sacred Rest, Recover Your Life, Renew Your Energy, Restore Your Sanity, including groundbreaking insight on the seven types of rest needed to optimize your productivity, increase your overall happiness, and live your best life. She shared her tips on merging faith and medicine with over 16,000 healthcare professionals to encourage the current and next generation of doctors to treat the whole person. And you can learn more about her at ichoosemybestlife.com. Welcome, Sandra. Hi, Cheryl. Thanks for having me. I'm very happy to have you. And it seems very timely here in our, uh, you know, live today. We're about three weeks into um, the change that came into my life, at least uh, by way of COVID-19. Um, and there are more and more parts of the country and the world that are being being very seriously impacted. And so I think it's really timely to be talking about kind of how to keep ourselves well, um, which uh, having read your book is the overall message. So welcome. I think uh, right now the mind, body, spirit is a huge area we need to be looking into. Absolutely, absolutely, and and it's interesting in terms of um, uh, uh, grief because the people that I find are able to respond to this crisis and and find their way, uh, having the feelings involved and and then setting about to keep themselves well. Most of them have been through something very major before, uh, some big big loss that taught them some of those lessons, and maybe that applies to you too. So maybe you could start by telling us uh, what led you in this direction to be so interested in these various uh, ways of resting ourselves and, and um, staying well on all these seven, uh, er in all these seven areas we'll be talking about a little later. Yes, well, 
my story really initiated with my own uh, burnout. I got to a place within my professional life where I was very successful on the surface. You know, I had a lot of notoriety and was, you know, you, you mentioned a lot of the media outlets that I had been in, but I got to a point where I, my life looked very successful on the outside, but didn't feel very successful to live. It didn't feel good to live every day because I was chronically tired, um, never felt any level of satisfaction or joy. I felt like I was always grinding out the next goal or trying to get to the next accomplishment. And that kind of started me on this path of, you know, if, if all the work I'd done up to that point had built that particular life, then what would it look like if I changed what I was doing? What would it look like if I changed direction and started looking at how to build a life that I actually enjoyed living? That's a really challenging moment to come, come to because, uh, you know, I know physicians intimately, you put so much into, into that um, accomplishment, into, ha into making that life. And, and then you're invested in that life in various ways. That must have been a scary moment for you. It was because uh, medicine was the only thing I'd ever wanted to do. I've never had another uh, career aspiration that I wanted to do. And I still love medicine. That's my passion. But I think I had to find a way to allow myself to practice medicine and still keep myself well. And I think that was the imbalance that I had kind of leaped over into. I was very active within a lot of different areas of wellness but I was allowing myself to kind of be lost in the process. That's that, that really resonates for me because the, uh, uh, the people I know in that, in the system of medicine uh, definitely all chose it because they wanted to help people's healing, but the system itself makes it hard to, to be healed as a member of the system. It's very seems. true. <laughs> uh, I had a I had a physician I worked with once who uh, came because uh, she had a cancer diagnosis, and she came to work with me, and she had actually forgotten how to feel tired. Uh, she had to relearn how to register that she was tired, physically, mm -hmm. um, because she had just clicked off that part of her brain that registered. The experience of tiredness from having to stay up on 36 hour calls and, you know, do all the things she had to do in training. And, um, you know, she had to figure out a different way to do her job if she wasn't going to stay up until three in the morning writing the papers and, you know, if she was actually going to realize she was tired. So, yes, I, I think that's true. I, I find that to be the case for a lot of particular new physicians. When we first get started, you know, residency and in our intern year, really you're taught that this is going to be hard. You're not going to get much sleep. You're just going to have to, to figure it out, you know, <laughs> figure out how to function on very little sleep and still be highly effective when doing that. Unfortunately, most of us never graduate from that, that trainee mindset. And so we spend the next 20 years living that same life. Let's move a little bit to uh, what I found 
um, very resonant and, and interesting in your viewpoint, which is that uh, rest and sleep have been thrown together and they're very different things. That, that seems like such an important idea. Can you talk a little about um, how people throw them together and why they need to be pulled back apart? <laughs> Yes. Well, the thing is, I think for many of us, we have we have gotten to the point where we use those two words interchangeably. So we'll say, I'm going to go rest tonight. And we, when we're really talking about sleeping. And then when we need to actually rest, we don't know what that is. We don't have a frame of reference um, for that. And we don't know what that looks like. And I, my my fear is that we've gotten to a point where we've done down rest to the to the point that we feel like it's really not effective. And the issue isn't that rest isn't effective, it's that we don't know what true rest looks like. That leads us sort of to, uh, to these concepts that I'm sure are gonna interweave through our whole time together today, uh, that there are, you, you talk about seven types of rest. Um, I think each one is worth a little minute, you know, of description. Physical rest is probably what most people mean when they say rest. Yes, they mean sleep. Exactly. They mean (laughs) sleep. And even at that, with physical rest, physical rest is divided into two types. So you have passive physical rest, which are things like sleeping and napping. And then you also have active physical rest. That includes things like stretching, yoga. Um, that's where a leisure walk would come in when you're, you're not trying to aerobically exercise, but you're really just focused on improving your circulation and your lymphatic drainage. And so even when we look at the physical part, we have to be conscious that it's not just the passive. It's not just the sleeping and the napping, that there is also an active component to rest. Because rest, when you think about rest, you should really think about restoration. What is being mm. restored physically? Mm. That, that's a good way to look at it. I like that. Now, one thing to keep in mind as far as the, um, the physical rest component of it is it also is uh, in effect when you are sitting at your desk for long periods of time. Many people aren't aware that when they have those body aches at the end of the day or they're noticing that their, their neck aches, their legs are swelling, all of that falls into a physical rest deficit because it's meaning that the body is not staying in a fluid state. There's some stagnation that's happening. And that's a type of rest deficit because it's, you're not getting the circulation that's needed to keep things at a healthy state. That might be particularly relevant now too, because Uh, for instance, I was talking with one of my kids yesterday and she's doing fine working at home right now, except that she doesn't really have a good space to do it. And so her, you know, she doesn't have a desk at home. She has a tiny apartment, that kind of, so uh, that makes it even more acute. Her body's really hurting at the end of a day of, of hard working from home. And I'll bet a lot of people are experiencing that, that it's, it's, uh, there's an extra challenge in that motion part of physical rest that you're talking about. Yes, one thing to keep in mind, one of the ways to try to counteract that is a practice called body fluidity um, and using something also, something we use called flow break cycles. Body fluidity just meaning that you don't allow your body to stay in a static place for longer than a set period of time. 
And what a flow break cycle is, is that you're programming kind of yourself or even a calendar or scheduler that you're going to work for, uh, you're going to flow or work for a consistent period of time, then break and then go back into consistent work. The goal with that is, is to allow yourself to have enough time to go into um, kind of what we call deep work or the work where you're, you're highly concentrating and focused, but you don't let yourself stay in that place of concentrated work for longer than, let's say, 90 minutes before you do get up and maybe go get a drink of water or go outside to stretch your legs. And so it wouldn't just be going to a less focused activity. It would be getting up. For the physical rest. Right. Now, for mental rest, then yes, that could include um, shifting from maybe something that is highly concentrated. Um, let's say if you're an accountant and you're do, doing something with a lot of numbers and you're really having to concentrate and use a lot of mental energy, then part of that break may be doing something that's still a part of your work but doesn't require your, as much concentration. Um, I have some, some uh, clients who, when they do their break, their break includes kind of scheming, skimming through their email. Because they don't want to, because email is kind of a low energy activity for them. So they can kind of skim through their email quickly, flag things that are going to require a lot of attention, you know, delete things that are unnecessary. And during that time, they're allowing themselves to wind down a little bit. So that would seem to me, we've kind of moved on to, to mental rest. That would seem to me to be very individual because uh, I, for instance, I wouldn't, consider uh, going into my email to be a uh, to be an activity of that sort I would either <laughs> I know the chaos. So, but, but I can imagine that I can imagine that some people would uh, it's just not uh, you know for me it might be I don't know um, doing a puzzle or you know uh, doing a crossword puzzle or you know something uh, that feels sort of relaxing for me, it wouldn't be email, but that's interesting uh, it, that some people would. And, yeah, it, it really, and you have to figure that out for yourself, kind of, huh? You do. It really is individualized. I always say no one should judge anyone else's rest because we all feel that we all kind of re receive and respond to things differently. And so for most people, mental rest looks like things that allow your brain to quiet down. And so that includes things like meditation. It can include, um, really, it can include doing what we call brain dumping at nighttime. If you have a tendency to, when you lay down at night, your mind um, kind of ruminates over a lot of different um, things on your to-do list, or it ruminates over conversations you had earlier in the day, or thought patterns that you're thinking about and, and analyzing. If you do a lot of that right before you go to bed, then having a notepad or a journal that you can jot these thoughts down or brain dump, as we say, can be very helpful to break those cycles and allow you to experience more mental rest. But for many people, meditation is a huge part of that, just trying to allow the brain to get back to a calm place. Yes. And, and I have to say, having, having done, you know, um, longer meditations earlier in my life, um, they can... You know, if I, for instance, let's say I'm starting to get a little anxious. Uh, if I take just a second and, and access a different form of breathing, one of the ones I've learned along the line, 
I can calm my system down pretty fast. I feel it gets better with practice. Do do you agree? Absolutely. I think the more you work on these different types of rest, the the quicker you're you're able to actually get your body into those restful states. So, uh, mental rest. It sounds as if you're saying is kind of turning off the the um, fast paced thinking that goes on for a lot of lot of us, or turning it down at the least. Exactly. Uh, it's downshifting it to a place where you don't feel the pressure and the stress from it anymore. Um, you know, I, I, I know I, I saw a TED talk once about stress and how it's really that we're our biggest uh, burnouts are stress about stress. Like if you're <laughs> excited, for instance, if you're really excited about what you're doing and your mind's going real fast about it and it's not particularly exhausting, but I, I imagine you would say that even with that, uh, it would be possible to overdo it. And well, if well, yes, there's definitely good and bad stress. So with good stress, just like there's, I believe there's actually good and bad anxiety to some degree, um, because if, as a speaker, when I get up on stage, I like the butterflies. That actually makes me amp up a little bit and it makes me have a little bit more energy. So I think it's really, it's really in how you interpret it and whether it escalates you or if it suppresses you. So again, a very, a very individual assessment of kind of where you are at the moment and whether there's something out of balance with overthinking or, um, you know, using your brain too much. Yes. Yes. Um, especially when you're trying to get that mental rest, you, if you're feeling like you're having trouble concentrating, particularly, you know, you're in your forties, you walk into the grocery store, you can't remember the three items on your list. You probably don't have dementia. You probably have a mental rest deficit. You're not able to concentrate because your mind's too full of other information. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And that, and that's individual. I have one kid who can literally do several things at once and her brain feels understimulating if she's doing one thing. <laughs> so I don't, that's not the way I am, but uh, I learned over time that she really is wired that way. So I'm, I'm guessing where our, you know, where our cutoff point is, is quite unique. It definitely. And that's the thing. I, um, most of my patients, when I get started, I have them start with restquiz.com to take the assessment to determine which of the seven types of rest they're most efficient in, because then they can focus on the specific ones that they need. That's a good point to, to just step away and take our first break. Uh, and while, while we take the break, listeners, you can find my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. Please be in touch and to find my guest, you can go to IChooseMyBestLife.com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. talking about our book sacred rest uh we were talking about the mental um aspect of that before the break but i i i want to backtrack a little bit because i want people to hear the voice of your book a little bit sandra Mm -hmm. uh and so um maybe you could share the the part of your book that differentiates between sleep and rest uh I, I think it would be good for people to hear how you how you talk about that in your book. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, let me find a section to begin with. I want to let me start here. There has to be a bridge between good and bad sleep, and that bridge is rest. Sleep is solely a physical activity. Rest, however, penetrates into the spiritual. Rest speaks peace into the daily storms your mind, body, and spirit encounters. Rest is what makes sleep sweet. I may pride myself on, you may pride yourself on your ability to accomplish much each day, but when your natural strengths are taken to the extreme, they can become a liability. Sadly, many of us spend too much of our days doing and not enough of our days being. We have decided rest is not necessary and replaced it with even more activity. I don't have a problem with productive people. I have a problem with worn out productive people. These are the majority of faces that grace my medical office, including homeschooling moms, business executives, shift workers, and young professionals. They present me with a list of symptoms demanding answers and wanting quick fixes to problems that really require slowing down. What stood out to me there, of course, is this spiritual connection that um, making a connection between kind of spiritual wellness and and health and rest, um, Mm -hmm. because often our doctors don't make that connection. Um, So we bring our bodies to them, you know, (laughs) but not the rest of us. (laughs) Uh, And so it must, it must be very um, helpful to your, to your patients that you think of it that way, that you're looking at all of them. Well, I think that's the only way you really can look at them because what I, what I found for most of my medical practice right after I graduated you know, we're, we're definitely taught about the emotional we're, and the, we're taught about the physical, obviously, in medical school, but very little is even mentioned about the spirit and how it affects people. 
And I think for the first five years of my 20 plus years of practicing, I tried that. I tried to treat patients solely focusing on just their, their, you know, emotions and their physical body and not addressing anything else related to what was going on in their life. And you can get them to a level of health, but you can't get them to a place where they really feel like they are whole. That if that were the mark of, of, you know, wellness, feeling whole, wouldn't that be something? <laughs> that should be. That's a, <laughs> Shouldn't it? it should but I know be. it is not always is that not. way. <laughs> no, I, you know, I feel, and I, and unfortunately, you know, in the, the present days have really kind of brought to the forefront kind of how the medical system really right now is, is at a weak spot because, um, you know, when you're dealing with people who are fearful or afraid or scared, which is oftentimes what I see as an internist, I'm seeing people in the ICU, I'm seeing them in the ER, I'm seeing them when all their fears are on the surface. And so to not address that, to not deal with that is not going to help them. But what ends up happening is I have a hard time treating the other parts of them because I haven't managed the part that's really sitting on the surface. That, that feels so important to me. Uh, I do a lot of work in, in uh, cancer. I've run cancer support groups for 30 years, you know, um, seen a lot of clients that are, that are dealing with cancer. Uh, and I cannot tell you the difference it makes when uh, providers offer that kind of perspective and it doesn't even take a lot of time. It's more, uh, it's more a perspective. Uh, or am I just a body that I'm bringing to you to fix, or am I a whole person who's bring who's coming to you for help? And uh, it usually gets triggered by the healthcare professional, right? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. because um, patients don't want to make trouble. Yes, and, and it should be triggered by the healthcare professional, but, but honestly, I think oftentimes it's not because of the time limits and, you know, schedules and all those different things. I know in my own personal journey, I, like I said, it was about five years into my medical practice. I recall going into the hospital to see a patient and, uh, you know, I, she was hyperventilating is what she was doing. <laughs> but uh-huh. you know, at the moment, I was like, well, you know, what's going on? She having a heart attack? You know, I have no idea what's happening. I'm just watching this woman kind of come apart. And, you know, and when I finally got her to calm down enough to talk, she was getting, we were prepping her for a surgical procedure that honestly wasn't that, you know, it wasn't a high risk procedure. It wasn't that big of a deal in my medical mind, but it was a huge deal for her because she'd never had anything like that before and didn't, her kids were in another, you know, another state, nobody was there with her. And just in, in those couple of minutes of talking with her, it became very obvious she didn't need me to give her all the medical jargon about this procedure and how she's being unrational. She just needed me to sit with her. I sat with her for a few minutes, held her hand, let, let her explain her fears, you know, helped alleviate as much as I could. And by the time they came for, to get her for the procedure, she was like, you know, she didn't need a volume. She didn't need anything else. She just needed a friend in that moment. And I think we have to get back to that part of medicine where, where health care is about caring for people. Yes, and and often that's expressed as a dichotomy between time management and 
and that kind of care, but they've actually done studies. I, I got trained in something called managing can cancer and living meaningfully. And one thing I learned in that training was that uh, they've done studies of how much time patients require. Mm -hmm. And when patients are anxious, they actually require a lot more time because they call more to ask questions. They call repeatedly about the same question. You know, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is not a time saver not to take those couple of minutes just to say, I know this is rough or what, whatever it might be. We have kind of moved on, haven't we, to the, to the emotional rest uh, aspect in a way, because that's part of not being able to rest emotionally is getting keyed up and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. I know that, that um, we're talking about a particular circumstance that would, that naturally causes people fear, mm -hmm. but being able to find your resting spot and the help we can offer each other on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, emotional rest, the, the big picture with that is really being able to just be very authentic about your emotions and where you're at, not feeling that you have to mask them or, um, keep them hidden from people because you fear how they will respond to your feelings. Um, it's not, it's something that having that type of emotional liberty isn't something that most people feel comfortable doing it with everyone. And you shouldn't feel comfortable doing it with yeah. everyone, but you know, we that all can be trouble in and like, of itself. Yes, it certainly can be very dangerous. Honestly, <laughs> vulnerability, um, you have to be able to trust the person you're being vulnerable with to some degree. And so I think it's just important to, to have those people in your life. You know, there may not be a large number. It probably will not be. But you do need to feel like you are able to express yourself openly with someone. And then to, to the point we were just making about your patient, being able to express those things uh, with people that aren't your best friends, but it's important for them to know. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in that circumstance, it was very important for you to know how she was feeling because it was going to really impact uh, the surgery, <laughs> right? So, and she was able to, you, you could see that she, it was shared. So getting, uh, there are situations that you have to take a chance on sharing your emotions, even though you don't have absolute clarity that it's going to be safe. Yes. I think so. And I think that I think particularly in the case with physician patients, I'm always I'm constantly telling patients, you need a doctor you feel like you have some type of, of camaraderie with that you, you they may not be your best friend, but you if you feel like you can't share, honestly, that's a problem in a doctor patient relationship. And it probably needs to be reevaluated and maybe a new physician be brought into no. the situation in some instances. I agree a hundred percent just watching the difference between people who have a lot of, who have good relationship with their physicians and how that affects their treatment, for instance, and, and people who, who don't, who've picked on the basis of highly recommended or, uh, you know, um, good, good cancer center, but not on the basis of whether that relationship clicks, they, they struggle more. Yes, and it's, it's very interesting. I, as a internist, I, I find it disturbing when a patient comes to me and they say, well, you know, my cancer specialist is at XYZ big name facility, but can you look at the records and explain them to me? Because you take time with me and they don't. 
And I'm sitting here thinking, I'm not a cancer specialist. You know? yeah. <laughs> that's, a conver- you know, that's a conversation really you need to have with the cancer specialist who actually knows all the new treatments and all of this, you know, all of the specifics. I, I love being able to, to be kind of a bridge for my patients, but I think it's important to have a doctor you actually feel like you can talk to. For sure. I, I've mentioned this on air before when my, my mother, who's, who's now dead, uh, we went to her first appointment with her oncologist at a very big um, uh, place, UCF, UCSF. And um, the moment that the doctor walked into the room, she said, um, so here's where I want to start, you know, after the introductions and all that. Mm-hmm. What kind of a patient are you? Do you like me to give you all the information and you can make your choice? Do you just want to put yourself in my hands and trust that I'll make the right decisions? Uh, You know, she went into a couple different options. That was such a good start. I wish, (laughs) I wish every, (laughs) uh, it really, really worked. And then of course, my mother was an information person and she said, I want to know everything. Right. Mm-hmm. But but if that had been as an example of a good connection, if that had been um, unknown and the doctor is just trying to take a guess, you know, she was uh, an older person. Most people in that age group want to just leave their bo- their body at the door. They're trained to kind of do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that question just cleared up so many potential problems. And it, and it carried out. She must have put a note at the top of the chart or something. <laughs> um, so that's, my, that, that's, that's uh, an example of being emotionally resonant, right? Um, really yeah, being like on that. the same page. Yeah. So the next, the next um, kind of rest that I have in front of me to talk about is spiritual rest. I, I found as I was reading, and I'm finding it again as we're talking, that there are intersections between all of this, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> they're all part of your life. They're all, you know, they're all part of your, your experience. Yeah. So, so but that ties in with social and. Mm-hmm. So, so let's talk though a little bit, uh, a minute discreetly about spiritual, which, um, I think regardless of our particular belief system, um, bottom line is kind of believing in something larger than yourself. Yes, it is. Uh, the rest is really, um, it's, you know, it differs depending on your personal beliefs, but it's basically coming back to believing about something bigger than yourself, feeling as if you belong, having a sense of community and and an understanding that you are needed and valued. Oh, that's an interesting part to to put into that category that you're needed and valued, and that's why it's a spiritual uh, a spiritual tenet to give service, maybe. Absolutely, and to allow your and to see yourself as part of something bigger. So, if you're part of the big puzzle, then if your part is removed, then something's missing. Of course, many people uh, talk about, you know, our particular moment in history and um, a kind of spiritual lack, uh, which, which isn't the same as religious lack, 
a lot of people, for instance, go to church, but still feel spiritually disconnected, <laughs> I guess. Mm -hmm. um, so do you think there's anything particular about this, this time we're living in that leads to sort of a, um, a lack of rest in this spiritual dimension? I think it's it's very interesting right now that because of the current um, quarantine and restrictions and things that are being experienced, is that people are having to actually not be able to go to their places of religious service that they've had to go to in the past, you know, that they normally would go to. So now they're at having to really evaluate what spirituality means to them. And with spiritual rest, we're looking more at the, re the relationship part then the religious part, I'll, I like to define it as reclining in the holy. It's actually something much more intimate than just the, the spiritual part that has to do with going to bodies of um, faith and places of faith, but actually with how that faith is kind of comes out of you, kind of your experience with that faith. And so, uh, you know, I guess uh, one of my main teachers would would say connecting with the oneness, uh, you know, connecting with our uh, our place in the universe. Or <laughs> there are many ways to do that, of course. Mm -hmm. And and is that sort of what you're, you know, um, feeling a part, feeling a part of? Right. And and I, I because I like for it to have a, a bit of intimacy to it because I think it has to be something that's felt deeply. That's, I think that's where the reclining, because when I think of rest, I think of kind of a relaxed posture, not a posture of stress or service or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, if we're looking, you know, if we're looking at that entire religious experience and the spirituality as kind of falling into the arms of something that is much bigger than ourselves and being able to, to lay back into that um, with your eyes closed and feeling secure and safe as if you belong, you're valued, you're treasured. That is the imagery that I have when I think of, of spiritual rest. That's interesting, too, because uh, particularly in terms of grief, uh, often if people have the idea that God is, is to give them things that they pray for or, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> then, then in moments of terrible grief, they're in trouble because God didn't give them that thing. Uh, you know, exactly. Quite this, to the opposite. Um, exactly. And in this point, you're focusing on the comfort rather than on gift giving. Yes. Yes. Um, having a, a witness, a comforter, something to fall into as opposed to uh, an entity to give you things. Exactly. Fair to say? Yes, exactly. It's, it's time for our second break and we will come back and we have a few more of these aspects of rest. And then I really want to talk about um, how, how you've managed to do all this, uh, you know, in, in your life, big medical practice, lots of speaking, two kids, a husband, um, how <laughs> you manage to work in the rest. <laughs> so we'll be back soon and uh, feel free to go find us, my website and social media, and to find Dr. Sa Sandra Dalton-Smith, go to ichoosemybestlife.com. Be back soon.
become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Over 20 million people in America struggle with substance use. This impacts both the people who are using and loved ones who are trying to help. Still, there is hope. Tune in to the Beyond Addiction Show with host Josh King. You'll hear from experts and get the real information you need to understand and assist in change. Change can be hard. It doesn't have to be confusing. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith about her book, Sacred Rest. And let's go back to talking about the types of rest. I've, uh, Of course, there's much more in your book about what you get back when you do these things and about how to, how to evaluate yourself in terms of what's out of balance. So I, I, put, I hope people will go to the book, but um, it seems most important for us to really to talk about um, all these different types of rest, because I don't think it's a way that most people think about it. Um, so before the break, we were talking about spiritual rest. And, and the next thing I want to talk about is social rest. That one was very interesting to me, that, that actually relationship um, is a resting place, is a needed resting place. Could you talk a bit about that? Yes, and and just to clarify, when I say social rest, many people automatically think that I'm referring to kind of um, getting away from other people, (laughs) actually, you know, getting away from um, those that are around them. But social rest is really the rest that we experience when we're in the presence of life-giving people. So people pull on us in two different ways. They're either requiring things from us and they're negatively draining from our energy and resources or they are actively restoring and replenishing those, our energy. And so and it, when someone's a negative energy pull, it doesn't mean they're a negative person. It's just how, how the relationship is. 
So your parent, your elderly parents, you may be taking care of your kids, your spouse, your clients, um, your coworkers, anyone who is requiring something from you is likely negatively pulling from you because they're needing you to do something for them. But what we're finding is that when the research, a lot of adults don't have adult friends. They replace those adult friendships with the people who are needing things from them. And they get into a level of social rest deficit because there are very few people in their life who are there just to, to be of benefit to them, to just be someone that they can have fun with and that they can kind of be uplifted from. I find for myself, I don't know if this is true for other people, I don't need a ton of people I can do that with, but I absolutely 100% need people I can do that with. And that's the thing, just to know that and to determine what's the, the correct um, ratio for you. There's a, a work-rest ratio for each of these areas. And just making sure that you are consistently filling back up that ener energy reservoir where you're pouring out to the place where it doesn't get to a point of feeling depleted. I, I feel that's just dramatically important for people in um, caring professions, giving professions. Absolutely, caregivers uh, of any type. Because we can, we can certainly get burned out if it's all going out, <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. Can you, can you talk a bit about sensory rest? Yes, sensory rest. Um, the easiest way to describe that, I would say, is if you've ever been to a conference where at the end of the day, you know, you may have been sitting the entire time, but you feel tired. And oftentimes that's because of, of a sensory rest, a sensory overload, rather, or a lack of sensory rest. Bright lights, that kind of background hum from multiple people talking. If you're in an office space with a lot of noise, if you're at home, you're, let's say you're a homeschooling parent and there's kids, you know, in the background talking and laughing. <laughs> Which everyone of, is right now. <laughs> right now. <laughs> so, the gadgets, you know, we, we, many of us are kind of addicted to our phones and our computers and laptops. So all of those things are, are kind of keeping our senses stimulated. And if we never allow time for our senses to get back to a place of calm, then you can have kind of this underlying anxiety or, or stress response. I found that some of the research that was really interesting dealt with cell phones and how people who kept their notification levels high, you know, they wanted to be notified about everything that happened on every one of their social media and emails and everything else, tend to have higher cortisol levels because their bodies stayed in this constant kind of fight or flight response because the cell phones were going off all the time. Mm. It's very similar to a physician who wears a pager. You're programmed when that buzz or that sound happens to kind of be on alert because it, it signals that there's something you have to respond to. Well, that's what people are doing with their phones every day now. now I recently, right before we, we um, got, a got the stay-at-home order, uh, my wife searched all the beach cams in the area and found a beach that was pretty empty because we already knew it was dangerous to be around people. And we went to the beach and um, there was no cell service. Uh, we just were looking at the ocean and playing with the dog. And um, it was so restful. <laughs> you know, I, I think that's, that, that's an example that comes to my mind of getting a sensory rest. Even though senses were still operating, the ocean made noise and stuff, but it was 
calming uh, calming senses. Well, you know what, what you're describing actually is creative rest as well. Creative rest is the rest that we experience when we allow ourselves to appreciate the beauty and the experience of nature or of artwork, um, like at a museum or at a symphony or something like that. It's really the rest of experiencing and enjoying creativity and allowing creativity to kind of awaken and inspire something inside of you. So many people get that at the beach. Well, and I, I guess I would say I can, I can imagine uh, ways in which that particular day uh, restored me in almost all of the seven areas mm -hmm. and on one level or another. You know, I stepped away from what I was thinking about. I, I walked. I, you know, there were, I walked slowly. I looked at beauty, you know, a lot of things happened that day. And I'm very glad I got to do that before this, um, because I, I feel like that's in my tank a bit. Absolutely. And that's, uh, that's exactly how all of us should really enter those times of rest. When you enter something that's restful, you will know that you experience rest. You may not know which of the seven levels you experienced in, but you will know you experience rest because you'll leave the experience feeling better than how you entered into it. And at that point, it's good to evaluate what got restored. Absolutely. And, and having, I can imagine it helps people a lot to have these different areas in their mind. You know, I, as I was reading the book, I was thinking, how am I, how am I doing in that area? You know, and I could see which areas were weaker for me, which areas were not in as much balance as others. And that's a really good evaluation tool, isn't it? Yes, uh, and I think that's why so many people find restquiz.com so helpful is because, you know, they know they need rest in all seven, but all seven aren't deficient. If you go to bed at night and you wake up that next morning still tired, then it's probably one of the seven that's out of balance. And if you can identify that one, then you can focus your attention on intentionally restoring that type of rest. Before I let you get away from here, I, I really have to ask, because I know um, for, just from reading about you that this um, down on the floor moment, burnout moment uh, that you had did involve grief. It was kind of not, not running, hurtling forward, uh, having to face the loss of your mother when you were baby, you know, that that, that was a process. And out of that came, came this... Um, this, I almost want to say protocol, but uh, um, conception of rest and what it takes to rest. And so then you've been integrating that in your life. And yet you've still written a book. Um, you're still a physician. You still have kids. You're still married. Um, so I want to know how you've managed to bring this into your life, uh, how you've kept doing the things that you were doing before and made space because what I get as complaints a lot from clients is I don't have time, you know, <laughs> or I don't have space. I, I have to get this stuff done. Uh, how have you made an arrangement with that for yourself? Well, for me, I look at rest uh, really at the process of living a well-rested lifestyle. That's my goal. I never think about, okay, I need to get another vacation because 
when you, when we think about rest very one-sided like that, like vacations and I need to get a, take a sabbatical and all of these different things, then it seems like this big, this big obstacle to try to get rest. When we allow it to become part of our lifestyle, then you're able to incorporate it in small ways throughout the day without it looking like you're having to add a bunch of things to your to-do list. For example, um, for me, physical rest, I do, particularly now I'm doing some telemedicine, telehealth and telemedicine where I'm seated at a desk for, for you know, longer periods of time than normal. So what I'm able to do is to, to practice those flow break cycles, to purposely make sure that I'm getting up um, at certain time periods, that I'm checking to see if my neck is painful, rather than trying to grind through till the end of the day and then say, oh, why is my neck hurting? The <laughs> second I feel that, you know, I start assessing, okay, let me change my position. Maybe I need to stand for a moment. Um, maybe I need to stretch. And I start evaluating that. Um, mentally, if I start noticing that my concentration's kind of lapsing, then I'll take a break for a moment. And oftentimes, I'll practice multiple types of rest at one time. So I'll take a break. I'll close my eyes to get some sensory, um, some sensory rest. I may turn off all sound in the room. I may turn off all the lights in the room. Uh, sometimes I'll include going to walk for a small walk outside just to get that creative component added in to get some appreciation of nature. That tends to be very beneficial for me. Um, I may call up a friend and do a Skype call or FaceTime so I can get the presence of someone who's life-giving for me if I've been with a client that's been particularly difficult. So uh -huh. I need to balance that out a little bit. So you just start thinking about where am I deficient and what do I need to pour back into that area? What I like about what you're saying is that actually what it cultivates is a relationship with ourselves where we're paying attention. Um, we're not just structuring, you know, checking the boxes on these things, but we're paying attention to what's balanced and imbalanced for each of us and how to really pretty easily and quickly put it back in order. Yes, because the quicker you adjust and fix the area that's sliding out of balance, the easier it is to get it. And I don't like the word balance. I use the word harmony a lot of times. Uh -huh. Get things back in harmony, the, the sweeter life is. So you're not having to stay in that place where things are out of harmony and you're trying to figure, you know, the further it gets away, the harder it is to get it back. I feel we could spend another, another hour talking and I, I favored conversation actually over having you read from the book because I, because I did. Um, so I hope people will, I hope people will go read the book because I, I feel that it, uh, really clearly lays out um, all of these principles and when what we have to receive and also emphasizes emphasizes what I believe, which is that actually we get more accomplished when we do these things. And certainly we get more accomplished better and with more enjoyment. Um, so I want to really thank you for being here today. I, I, um, I feel it's, you know, we're all stuck at home. It may, it, it may be a great time to reset on some of these aspects of rest. Absolutely, yes. Thanks so much for having me, Cheryl. It's been a pleasure. Maybe I'll have you back the next time you write a book. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Hopefully so. Thank you. Th thanks for being here. And and yes, you can go to ichoosemybestlife.com to find out more and to find the book. Next week, I'll have Nina Impala to talk about her book, Dearly Departed, a book about what she learned working with people in hospice and how those lessons helped her when her own parents died. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional 